You're listening to a podcast from Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, whose mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. <clears throat> For those of you who might not know who I, who I am, my name is Royce. I'm one of the elders here at Red Sea. I have never actually trained an elephant. However, however, yeah, I didn't get that class in college, no. However, I have heard an interesting aspect of how it's done. True or not, I'm not sure, but this is what I read. I read that when a baby elephant is born, soon after that, when it's a little bit more mobile, the trainers, and this is, happens, I guess, in East Asia, the trainers will take a chain or a very thick rope and they'll tie it around its leg, and then they will stake it very securely in the ground. And as the elephant tries to move, it pulls against the chain, and it can't break the chain. So therefore, it's stuck. And over a period of time, after pulling on it, pulling on it, the elephant stops resisting. The elephant stops fighting it. The elephant just gives up. And when he feels something around uh, his ankle, the elephant's ankle, it just stays put and stays towards the circumference, the center of wherever it is. And then eventually, because chains are cumbersome, the trainer will replace the chain with a piece of thin rope or even string. As long as something is tied around its, um, its ankle, its leg, uh, the elephant won't move because it thinks it has a chain wrapped around its, its leg. We all have experienced in our lives the chains of bondage of sin. No matter how much we fight against it, we cannot break free. This is one of the realizations that we must have if we respond to the gospel message that Christ died for our sins. On our own, our struggles against the guilt and the shame and the fear and the bondage of sin will never be successful, no matter how hard we try. However, in the gospel message, we learn of Jesus paying the debt for our sin and his provision of deliverance from the power of sin in our lives, here and now, today. So we respond in repentance and faith, and we receive through these, pre, uh, these, pre, these generous gifts from Christ the chains that uh, have been removed from us, the chains and bondage of sin has been removed, and we have been set free. However, like the elephants, many Christians continue in bondage to the perception to the perception that they are still in the chains of their sin. There is often little effort to deal with that sin, because the sin that plagues them, because they remember the hopelessness. They remember the futility of their bondage of sin. Let me say here now, right at the beginning, clear and concisely, this does not have to be the experience in our lives. In fact, it should not be the experience in our lives. For us, for those of us who, who <clears throat> know this struggle, Paul has something to say to us in his letter to the Galatians. He says the theme verse, I think the theme verse of Galatians is chapter 5, verse 1, where he says this, For freedom Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. For freedom, Christ has set you free. He set all of us free. 
In his letter to Galatians, Paul unpacks two types of yokes of slavery that we are freed from. The first one is a legalism to external rules like circumcision, and we've already looked at this at length in the previous sermons. But the second yoke of slavery is that of the bondage to our passions of our flesh or our sinful nature, and that's what Paul is going to address in his passage that we're going to look at today. In our passage today, we're going to expand uh, uh, our understanding of this freedom we already have in Christ. And here is the main idea. Here's my main idea, the passage main idea we're going to look at. We can experience freedom from the bondage of sin by paying attention to three activities of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I'll repeat that. We can experience freedom from the bondage of sin by paying attention to three three activities of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Will you stand with me as we read Galatians 5, 16 through 26? And we stand in honor of reading God's word. (coughs) Excuse me, sorry. Though written to a church thousands of years ago in a faraway place, probably in the area of Turkey. This is because it's the word of God. It is God's word to us here and now on this morning. Hear the word of the Lord. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you for these words to us. I pray that we experience the thing we're going to be talking about, the leading, working, and focus of the Holy Spirit. We thank you in your precious name. Amen. You may be seated. We can experience the freedom from the bondage of sin by first paying attention to the Holy Spirit's leading in our lives leading in our lives. We see this in verse 16. Verse 16. He begins with it by saying, but I say, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. This means for us to live our lives in a way that yields to the Spirit. Not only in the religious activities, like coming to a gathering or home community or devotional times, which is true, but in all of our life, work or play, alone or in relationships. We are supposed to be walking with the Holy Spirit. The word walk here is a, is a metaphor Paul frequently uses for living. It means to walk around after someone or walk into a particular direction. 
And he uses it for living, not just in Galatians, but in his other letters. It's looking at life as an ongoing journey, and we're taking steps every day to move down that journey. We are all moving through life. That's, that's not the question. We are all moving through life. The questions are, who are we following, and what direction are we going? Those are the only two questions when it comes to our walk. And if you are not a Christian, if you are not a follower of Christ, just like all of us were before we responded to the gospel, we are followers. We don't think we are. We think we're independent. We think we guide ourselves. But the scripture is clear that we are, separated from Christ, all followers. Paul says in Ephesians 2 that we're following the course of the world or the, the direction of the world, cultural influences, peer pressure, fear of man, those kind of things. We follow the demonic forces that lead us towards disobedience to God. And thirdly, we follow our own passions and desires, whether from our body or for our mind. We are all following these things. We're not leading them. But when we respond to the gospel message, it frees us from the necessity of following these things. But now as Christians, we are still followers, followers of Christ. We are, we are all following and going in a direction, but it has radically changed from following those other three things. We have now the Holy Spirit residing inside us. This is the presence of God himself within us at all times, in all places. And his, his desire is to lead us where he wants us to go, which will always be for our good and for his glory, in Christ's glory. We, we can see this in the second half of verse 16, the second half of verse 16. He says, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Pay attention to how this is worded. It is not a command. It is a promise. It is a promise. Paul's statement is one of hope and certainty. In our lives as a whole, or if we're specifically wrestling with a, an area of sin, we can have confidence that we do not have to yield to those sinful desires. We don't have to. It is not inevitable. It is not inevitable. How? By giving our attention to walking by the Spirit. When, when dealing with sin, our first and primary action uh, should not be to drum up more willpower to fight against the sin and resist the sin. Instead, as Christians, our first, when we become aware of a sin in our life, our first action should be to give our attention to the Holy Spirit and His application of the gospel in our lives. One of the reasons we struggle with this is because we do not accurately view the tension that between the leading of the Holy Spirit and the influence of sin in our lives. We see that in verse 17. Look at verse 17. Verse 17. He says, For, he's explaining this, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep us from doing the things we want to do. There are two forces at work within us as Christians. Our sinful nature, Paul calls it the flesh, and the Holy Spirit. The word flesh here does not mean 
physical body. Our problem is not necessarily our, our physical bodies. But he's referring, he uses that as a metaphor, like walk. He's using this as a metaphor for the innate sinful nature, sinful desires that we have. Think of it as our natural orientation towards pride and selfishness. Our flesh and the Holy Spirit are an ongoing tension with each other. That sounds too soft. They are in conflict with each other. They are, according to Paul in this passage, against each other. It is not just that they're different from each other. It's not just that. It is that they are opposed to each other. This is a battle. A battle that they are waging within us. And it's ongoing in our lives as Christians. It's important to remember that. And let, let me use a metaphor to help us understand what Paul's trying to tell us in this passage about the reality of the leading of the Holy Spirit, but yet the drive of our own sinful nature. For years, I have struggled with poor physical health. Uh, I have had several symptoms of this uh, over the years. Overweight, sleeplessness, chronic fatigue, headaches, uh, high blood pressure, intestinal issues. I could go on and on. I'm going to save you the story, okay? You're welcome. You're welcome, okay? I've sought help from the medical establishment with very little improvement. I'm not anti-doctor. They just weren't very helpful. So, after doing a lot of research on my own, I came to a huge realization that I needed to radically change my perception of an everyday necessity in my life. Food. Food. Specifically, the difference between healthy food and unhealthy food. Although these concepts were not new to me, a clarity to one of these words was extremely liberating and brought a lot of help, not only to my understanding, but the improvement of my health. And that word is unhealthy. Is unhealthy. I had the wrong understanding of what unhealthy particularly unhealthy food, was. We often define healthy food as nutritious. Okay, that's fair. But we also, you often define unhealthy foods as not nutritious. Somewhat true, but these definitions are inaccurate. Unhealthy is not nutritionally neutral. It is not nutritionally neutral. I always thought it was. No, unhealthy means anti-healthy. It is anti-healthy. It is toxic. It is poison. That's the difference. Unhealthy food was causing me harm. But I viewed it as just an alternative to healthy food. A primary contributor to my poor health was that I was consuming unhealthy food. And, and, and not even that much of it. That was part of the, the lie of it was Monica and I had a balanced diet. We did well. We ate a lot of healthy food, but we consumed a fair amount of unhealthy food. I'm sure you're, most of you are heard of the dietary advice, which I have followed for years. All things in moderation. Anybody ever hear that? I'll preach it, brother. All things in moderation. Okay? Sounds reasonable, doesn't it? It gives us the boundaries, some boundaries, but a lot of personal discretion and flexibility. That's why we like it. We need to stop and ask ourselves, is this really sound advice? Is this really sound advice? 
Is unhealthy food in moderation really okay? Let me rephrase the question. Is toxic food in moderation okay? A little bit of poison is still poison. Is it not? It's still destructive, even if it's just a little bit. Now, let's shift our thinking to our spiritual lives and our passage today. Is all things in moderation good advice for us spiritually? Is the gospel and sin both in moderation a good thing? Of course not. Sin in moderation is still sin. Sin in moderation is still toxic. It is still poison. It is still destructive in our lives. For us to be freed from the spiritual and relational poor health, we need to pursue healthy aspects of our lives and continue to reject the unhealthy aspects of our lives. This is what the Spirit is constantly doing in us and through us. That's what we mean by leading of the Holy Spirit. The question is, for us, are we aware of what the Holy Spirit is doing? And are we cooperating with Him in doing it? How are you? Are you doing that? How can we know? How can we know what He wants us to do? Now, Paul addresses this question in our passage, which leads us to the next point. We can experience freedom from the bodies of sin by paying attention to the leading of spirits leading our lives, but secondly, we can experience freedom from the bondage of sin by paying attention to Holy Spirit's working in our life. His working in our lives. The Holy Spirit is working in our lives as Christians. Whether or not we are aware of His work, or whether or not we cooperate with Him, He is working. It's a biblical truth. It's a gospel reality. But sin is also working in our lives, whether or not we're aware of it and whether or not we think we're cooperating with it. That's that tension, that's that conflict, that's that battle that Paul has already talked about. Now, in our physical health, we can see signs and evidence of health and unhealth, can't we? That's why you go to the doctor, that's why we look at ourselves, we check. And, and as I mentioned before, for years I have struggled with this poor health, the symptoms, the weight, the sleeplessness, the fatigue, headaches, on and on and on. Here's part of the lie I lived under. I thought that poor health I lived with these so long that they seemed normal. They seemed normal. That is a lie. That is a lie. Unhealth is not normal. These symptoms may be common, but they are not normal. They are not normal. What do I mean by that? They are not the norm. They are not the standard in which we measure health. We don't measure health by unhealth. We measure health by health. Just like with our physical health, our spiritual health has symptoms, has indicators that we can check and see how are we doing with our spiritual lives, healthy or unhealthy. Paul lists these signs of unhealth and health. His intention, why did Paul do this this time? He goes to the trouble of giving us these lists so that we can be aware of them and look to them in our lives. And we're going to do that now. Paul begins with his list symptoms of unhealth. 
And we're going to go through them very quickly. But at first I was just going to say, hey, look, at they're there. But I think it's important that we pause just for a minute and go through these together. So I want you to take a little spiritual health exam as we look through these. We're going to go through this, check, check, check. Maybe there's some evident to you, some less evident. But think about these as symptoms and signs of the flesh in your life. And I, I adapted these uh, definitions from uh, Tim Keller in one of his books. And, and, and in the verse 19, we see three symptoms of the flesh, and particularly in the area of sexual immorality. The first one is sexual morality, which is a sexual relationship between unmarried people, or impurity, unnatural sexual practices or relationships, or sensuality, uncontrolled sexual desires. And then there are two words in verse 20 that have to do with the area of religion, idolatry, We have an inadequate substitute for God. We worship something other than God, even if it's a good thing. Or sorcery, or sometimes translated witchcraft. That is the substitute for and faking of the power of God. And then in verses 20 through 21, there are eight words that describe uh, how the flesh destroys relationships. The first four are destructive attitudes. Enmity. Enmity, that selfish ambition, namely competitiveness or self-seeking motive. Strife, that's hostility, an adversarial attitude. Jealousy, the zeal and energy comes for a hungry ego, wanting what other people have. Envy, coveting, desiring. Verse, uh, the second four things described the attitudes in our relationships are fits of anger, fits of anger, hatred, Hostility, adversarial attitude, rivalries, seeking to pick fights and to be against others. It's particularly different from us. Dissensions, divisions between people, factions, permanent parties or warring groups. And finally, two words to talk about substance abuse or addictions to pleasure-creating activities. Drunkenness, too much alcohol, drugs, or other substance stimulants. Or orgies, probably not referring specifically to sex here, but bringing binging parties focused on excessive behaviors, excessive, excuse me, pleasures. And then the last one, which is my favorite, and things like these. And things like these. I love it. Uh, the above list is not intended by Paul to be comprehensive. It meant, it's meant to be representative. And if we wanted to go through other scriptures and look at things, we could add to this list of attitudes and behaviors that are signs of the flesh working against us. Think about these in your own life. Unforgiveness, gossip, slander, anxiety, worry, ungodliness, unthankfulness, bitterness, resentment, pride, selfishness, judgmentalism. We could go on and on. Those are signs of the flesh. Those are signs of unhealth. If you have indicators of those in your life, that is a sign of unhealth. These are the manifestations and the consequences of following the desires of the flesh, our sinful nature. And they are clear indicators of spiritual unhealth and not following the Spirit. But just in case we might miss the seriousness of what Paul's saying, he gives a warning. Look at verse, the second half of verse 21. 21b. He goes, I warn you, as I warned you before, those who do such things do not, will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is a very strong warning. And it's those, to, he's intending those to be who are dismissive of this previous list. They ignore it. 
They, they're nonchalant about those signs of unhealth in their life. If, if you are a Christian, and you've been for a while, and your life is marked repeatedly and continually by these types of attitudes and behaviors, Paul is saying you are in deep poop. And you know what I mean by poop. In fact, he's saying it may even indicate that you're not even a Christian. You have no place in the kingdom of God. And he says in here, I warn you as I warned you before. And he also has this warning in other letters. This warning is part of, it appears, to be a regular part of Paul's preaching and teaching. Don't take these things lightly, he says. Now, wisely, Paul gives us another list, a list of symptoms of, or evidence of spiritual health. Again, I want you to take your spiritual inventory, your health check. Again, I'm borrowing these from Tim Keller, a book he wrote. Uh, in verse 22, he says, but he's contrasting the first list with the second one. That's one, that's unhealth. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, to serve a person for their good and intrinsic value, not for what that person provides you. It is the opposite of fear, self-protection, and abusing people. Joy, a delight in God for the sheer beauty and worth of who he is. It's the opposite of hopelessness and despair. Peace, a confidence and a rest in the wisdom and control of God rather than your own. It is, replaces anxiety with worry. Patience, and it, it is an ability to face trouble without blowing up or, or uh, uh, crashing out. It's the opposite of resentment toward God and other people. Kindness, an ability to serve others uh, practically in a way that which makes, um, makes me vulnerable. It comes from having a deep inner security for me that I can serve them for their benefit. It's the opposite of envy, which leads me to uh, unable to have rejoice in what other people find as joyful. Goodness, integrity, being the same person in every situation rather than a phony or a hypocrite. Faithfulness, loyalty, and courage to be utterly reliable, true to your own word. It's the opposite of an opportunist, a friend only in good times. Gentleness, humility towards self, humility and self-forgetfulness. It's the opposite is to be superior, self-absorbed. Humility is not the same as inferiority. Humility is not the same as inferiority, as we, our culture wants to say. Self-control, the ability to pursue the important over the urgent rather than always being impulsive or uncontrolled. Now, it's important that we understand this list of the fruit of the Spirit, what it is not. It is not a to-do list. Paul is not saying for you to go out there and do these things. Work harder at these things. It is a manifestation of the Spirit already working in us and through us. When we experience the freedom from our bondage from sin, of paying attention to the Holy Spirit working in us in our lives, this assumes the biblical truth that in the life of every Christian, the Holy Spirit is already and continually working within us. 
And I think one of the reasons for my own life and then working with others and discipling others, particularly leaders, one of the reasons we're not more evident to us that, that he's working in our life is not more influential in us is because we do not regularly look for it. We don't look for it. We are not regularly paying attention to what the Holy Spirit is doing in us and through us. Well, what do we look for? Well, Paul gave us two lists. As, a, as an example, not, not comprehensive, but as an example. Over time, in our journey, in the walk with the Holy Spirit, and being led by the Spirit, we will observe the attitudes and behaviors of the flesh not only diminishing in their influence in our lives, but increasingly, they will become more distasteful to us. At the same time, we will observe and experience more and more of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Our problem is, I think, we're not looking for it. In our busy lives and all we're doing, we spend a lot of time just going through the motions. Hopefully we're reading scripture. Hopefully we're praying. But do we spend time just pausing, pausing and saying, Holy Spirit, show me these things in my life. I want to give you very quickly a tool that you can use on a regular basis that I teach in my other trainings that is very practical, very useful, like any tool, if you use it. And it's called, and no shouting out Chris or Josh, it's called the five A's. The five A's. First A is act, is act. This is, you live your life. You do your things, the things you do every day. It is going to work, going to school, playing, eating, relationships, whatever it is you normally do, you act. Or Paul would use long, Paul's language, walk, walk. The second one is assess. You take a time out. Pause for five minutes, ten minutes, preferably with spending some time in God's Word and maybe a little time of prayer, and you pause and you assess. You think about your day. You could do this at the end of the day. You can do this at the beginning of your day. I personally tend to do this more in the early morning and reflecting back on the previous day. You think about your day. You ask the Holy Spirit to lead you in this time of reflection. And you, how, how did my day go? How did you do? What are the signs of the flesh that you can observe from the previous day? What are the signs of the fruit of the Spirit that you observe from the previous day? Assess. Just pause and ask. The sec the, this next one is affirm. Affirm. Good for you. Acknowledge indicators of both a reduction of the works in the flesh and an increase or growth you see in the fruit of the Spirit. They're there. We know they're there because the Holy Spirit is working in you and through you. And this would be also a great time when you're doing the uh, affirmation to shout out a big thanks to the Lord for what He's doing for you. A prayer of thanksgiving is a great time. But then there's the next one. Next A. Adjust. Adjust. What's next? 
in light of what I thought about, in light of what the Holy Spirit's brought to my mind, what is the step of new obedience that you need to take today or tomorrow, whatever time you're doing it, in order to shed the unhealth of the flesh and in order to add some of the health of the Spirit? Pick one thing. Just one. And then we get to the fifth A, which is act again. Go back and live your life. Start this day. Aware of what the Holy Spirit's doing and in you through you. Go to work, go to school, play, eat, interact with your relationships. But this time, this time, this day, with a fresh intentionality, with a, a, a movement of, in faith and confidence that the Holy Spirit is working in you and through you. Spending a few minutes, and you don't even have to do this daily, though that obviously would be optimal, even in the middle of the week as you're going between gatherings to pause for five, ten minutes. This isn't an hour project. And thinking through these things, with it's an act of faith on our part because the Holy Spirit says He is working in our life. Are we looking for it? As we gain awareness of the Holy Spirit's doing in us, we, we will want to focus more and more on these things that give us spiritual health and result in the fruit of the Spirit. Well, how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, Paul helps us to do that, as we'll see next. We experience a freedom from the bondage of sin by paying attention to the Holy Spirit's leading and working in our lives, and thirdly, by the Holy Spirit's focus in our lives. By His focus in our lives. We see this in verse 24, and he says this in verse 24, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified their flesh with its passions and desires. In John 16, Jesus is speaking to his disciples about the Holy Spirit before he is crucified. And as I read, I'm going to read a couple of verses. As I read this, think of this, but not as Jesus talking to his disciples. Think of him talking to you, talking to us as a church. Jesus says this, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has, has is mine. Therefore, I say, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. On this side of the crucifixion, now that Christ is crucified and risen, what is the focus of the Holy Spirit in our lives in light of John 16? Helping us understand and apply the gospel to our lives. According to John 16, for our good and for his glory, for Christ's glory. Now, by my count, Paul mentions the Spirit 14 times in Galatians. 14 times in six chapters. He mentions the Holy Spirit. And a number of times he specifically is talking about the work of the Holy Spirit and the freedom that Christ provides through the crucifixion. We're not going to look at them all. I just want to mention very quickly two of them. In chapter 3, we see that the Spirit is a fulfillment of the promise that Christ has in his crucifixion. That he redeemed us from the curse of the law. Why? So that we might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. Christ secured and he has sent the Holy Spirit. 
Paul's already unpacked that for us. And then in verse four, chapter, chapter 4, he says that, uh, that we see the Spirit helps us to understand the benefits that supply to us by Jesus' crucifixion. Again, Paul describes the crucifixion of Christ redeeming us under the law and that we may receive adoption as sons. And, and, and then he says, and because you are sons, God has sent his spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. That's the work of the spirit. Our crying out, Abba, Father, is because the Holy Spirit is applying that and working in our lives. Now back to verse 24. Verse 24, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh and the passions and desires. In this verse, Paul wants us to be clear as Christians. We do not seek, us to, fo- we do not seek to focus our attention on obeying the law. This has been obviously a big theme in Galatians. We do not do that in order to re- re- restrain our fleshy attitudes and behaviors. That does not work. We need to focus on our new identity in Christ and the new reality that we have in Christ. Our new identity, we see this in verse 24, we belong to Christ Jesus. When we respond in repentance and faith to the gospel message that Christ died for our sins, we have eternal and present identity change. We are no longer who we were before. Paul's talked about this already in Galatians. We are children of God. We are sons of God. We have been delivered from the present evil age. We have been rescued from that. And we are now now part of God's kingdom. Jesus is our Savior and Lord. He has broken the chains of bondage for our sin. He has set us free. Free not to pursue our own selfish ends, but free to purchase and experience uh, what He has already generously provided for us as sons. We have innocence instead of guilt. We have honor instead of shame. And we have power instead of fear. But we also have in this verse a new reality that has, and it says that we have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. It's a past tense with present, um, present uh, reality. When we respond in repentance and faith to the gospel message that Christ died for our sins, not only has our identity changed, but our reality has changed. We, leverage, we are leveraged the power of the gospel and enabling the Holy Spirit to kill, to destroy the passions and actions of our flesh, our sinful nature. That is what we do. It does not mean that these passions and actions completely go away. We have already seen that with a constant tension or battle between the flesh and the spirit. But little by little, little by little, the reality of... The reality we have in Christ becomes our experience. The reality we have in Christ becomes our day-to-day experience. We know this because we observe the increasing fruit of the Spirit in our lives. This is like our daily battle cry, Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the body... I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If we continue with the metaphor of the fruit, in order for what Paul is saying, in order for us to gain more and more fruit, to grow and be plentiful in our lives, we need to sink our roots. And I'm going to say that is our attention, our mental attention, into the deep soil, good soil of the gospel. This is what the Holy Spirit wants us to focus on and is working in our lives. Or if we want to go back to the analogy of healthy and unhealthy food, 
If we focus our attention on eating healthy food, what will we be doing by default? We will automatically be avoiding the unhealthy or toxic food, at least some of it. The benefits are twofold. We get good nutrition in and the toxic stuff out. And it's the same for us spiritually. As we pursue the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, the good stuff comes in and the toxic stuff goes out. It doesn't mean that we'll never eat healthy food. It doesn't mean we'll never have sin in our life. But it does mean that our, because of our attention focused on what the Holy Spirit's doing, we get more and more of the fruit and less and less of the poison. We can experience freedom from the bondage of sin by paying attention to the Holy Spirit's leading, working, and focus in our lives. Now for a shameless commercial. If you want to know, this is very brief, it's one sermon, very brief on the work of the Holy Spirit doing this, I highly recommend a book by J.D. Greer called Jesus Continued. Jesus Continued. The subtitle is awesome. The subtitle is Why the Spirit Inside You is Better Than Jesus Beside You. Why the Spirit Inside You is Better Than Jesus Beside You. I highly recommend it. According to what I have read and shared in the introduction, elephants can be restrained by a piece of string. For years, I have suffered poor health because of my misunderstanding of one word, unhealth. The theme of Paul's letter in Galatians is chapter 5, verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Are you standing firm in the freedom that you have in Christ? Do you see an area of your life where you are submitting to the yoke of slavery where you don't have to? This week, I encourage you not to try harder. Not to drum up more willpower. I encourage you to pause and pay attention to the leading, the working, and the focus of the Holy Spirit in your life. We know he is doing that. And if you want something functional or practical to do, do the five A's. Five minutes. It makes a huge difference. We, and if you do that, I also want you to invite you now to receive communion as a first step of reminding you of the freedom we have in Christ. A first step of just thinking through not only the things of the unhealth of the flesh, but the fruit of the Spirit. I'm going to ask you as you come up, if you, if you have responded to the gospel message that Christ died for your sins and that you have are a follower of Christ, I encourage you to come up, take some communion with yourself or others. You can break off a piece of bread and dip it into wine and take it. But as you take it, remind yourself of the freedom that Christ has already provided to you and enjoy that and give thanks to him for that. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your generosity to us in Christ. We thank you for the freedom that we can experience. We especially thank you for the freedom that is provided, provided to us through the work of the cross and applied to us through the work of your Holy Spirit. 
And I pray that even as we take communion, as we sing, you will remind us all the more of the reality of these things for us. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please visit us at www.redseachurch.org or contact us at info at redseachurch.org.